Well, would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation chapter 14? We've come to verse 6. We'll look at the work of three angels. The angels are very active at the end of time. As a matter of fact, the whole world gets to see them. Uh, and they are involved with, with uh, carrying out the judgments of God on, 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 well, in that time, both on earth and in, in the sky. They fight demons, fallen angels during that time. They speak, they bring, they bring messages from God uh, they're just very active in, in, in all kinds of ways. Here we see three particular angels delivering a message, delivering their respective messages to the earth dwellers and to the saints who happen to still be alive uh, at this point in time. So we've come to verse six and let's just start there. And I saw another angel Flying in mid-heaven, all right, mid-heaven. That, uh, that's an interesting uh, Greek word, mesiranemati. That's, it's a Greek word that is a word used to describe the apex of the sun in the middle of the day. In other words, high noon. The angel is flying in mid-heaven. So the earth is round. The earth is turning. At high noon, in every time zone, I guess, in high noon, this angel, this magnificent angel, is in the sky. He's flying. And it says, having the everlasting gospel to preach upon those dwelling on the earth. And upon every nation and tribe and tongue and people. So he's going around the world and everybody, when it gets to be noon and wherever you are, guess who's going to appear? Saying in a loud voice. So he's a preacher angel. He's going to preach hard. And he says, fear God. Now notice something that says he has the everlasting gospel. Saying in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship the one having made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of waters. Let's break that down a little bit. So according to the Greek word that is translated mid-heaven, when the sun reaches the highest point in the sky, according to the language, that angel will be flying in mid-heaven. So if it's central time, he'll, he'll, he'll be preaching and it will be such a magnificent sight. His voice so loud that everybody in that particular time zone hears him and sees him. Now, it moves to the next. The, the earth keeps moving and he's preaching. 
So he's always in mid-heaven according to who he's preaching to and the time zone that he fits in. That's exactly what the Greek text is teaching us. The everlasting gospel, the eternal gospel, the gospel. You know, we're, we're on Sunday mornings in Galatians. And I don't know, you may recall that I happen to have said there's only one gospel. Saved by grace through faith in Christ Plus nothing. Salvation only comes by grace. It's just, a, it, it all is centered upon Christ since the creation of time, the seed of woman, all that. It's all centered on the Christ of God. And the good news that he paid the price for us. We have faith in him. He takes what's bad about us and we take what's good about him. Justification. So anyway, this is the everlasting gospel. A world, if the, tribula if the tribulation started today, this is going to be at least six years or more, almost to the end of the tribulation. After all that the world has been through, you still have these hard-hearted unbelievers but judgment's not going to fall on them until they have a clear understanding of what's happened. You see, the gospel always has one of two effects. It will either warm the soul and save the sinner, or it will harden the heart and drive the reprobate farther away. It always has those two effects. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then... This gospel is preached. We are at the close of time here when we get to this part. What have, what have we seen previously that the world is doing? They are, they are fearing and worshiping Satan. They are fearing and worshiping the Antichrist. And they have flippantly rejected any thought of judgment. Not only that, they are a, the unbelievers, the earth dwellers, as I call them, are still unconvinced in their hearts that there is no creator God, regardless of the angels, regardless of everything. They are so deceived and so deluded and so dark so this, this thing about the creator and, and uh, creationism, well, it's all going to be settled. It'll be settled. Not, not many days hence from this sermon. So how long does he do, do this? I don't know. Does he do it for one, for one spin of the globe so that everybody in every time frame here? I don't know. Doesn't say. He's flying in midheaven. Everlasting gospel. Preaching to those who dwell on the earth. My guess is you can see him. Magnificent sight. You can hear him. My guess is every, every TV channel, every radio station is, is carrying his message. That's just my guess. And nobody has any excuse that they can stand in judgment and say, I've never heard this before. But the point is going to be made, and we're going to see that with the second angel and the third angel. The warning here is given. This is, 
This is the warning. The hour is up. Now, we already know that if you have the mark of the beast, you're done for. If you've worshipped his image, you're done for. The Bible has already proclaimed that. Now, is it possible that there are some of the elect of God who are running and hiding and haven't taken the mark of the beast and would respond to this gospel? I don't know. My personal belief is that all of those who are going to be saved are saved except perhaps for the remnant of Israel who will be saved. All Israel will be saved, those who are alive at that time. Zechariah is very graphic about uh, what happens when the, when the armies, the forces of the Antichrist are going door to door and street by street in Jerusalem and uh, seeking out and killing the Jews, tormenting them and ravaging the people in awful ways. So, and then they'll look upon the one whom they pierced, the prophet says. So Christ rescues them in his second coming and they all become believers at that point. The ones that are left there, of course, the ones in the hills hiding it, they're already believers. So there are Gentiles who are hiding around here and there. And then there's saved Israel. All together, they comprise the tribulation saints. And now the proclamation, the last sermon of the gospel before Armageddon and before the kingdom is established in the days that we would consider the present days, the times of the Gentiles. Last sermon that anybody ever hear. Fear God. Don't fear Antichrist. Don't fear Satan. You don't have to be afraid. You know, Jesus said, you don't need to be afraid of somebody who can destroy your body. You need to be afraid of the one who can destroy both your body and your soul. Fear God. Give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. At this point, the earth dwellers, in my view, will ratchet up their cursing and swearing against God and his Christ. Worship the one. Worship the creator. You are about to have a rendezvous with your creator. He made you and he made everything around us. Anything that exists. Worship the one who is the creator. Now that's the, that's the everlasting gospel and the invitation of the first angel. But I'm going to show you here why nobody responded. Because after the warning, when there's no response, I mean after the gospel preaching, then comes the warning. And another, a second angel followed. He would have given the angel in, at, in mid-heaven the opportunity to preach ever how many times to each time zone. He would have preached to everybody in the world. Nobody responded to that invitation. So now comes the judgment. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great who has given all the nations to drink of the wine of passion for her immorality. Let's talk about Babylon because 
More will be said in later chapters about Babylon. The first time we're introduced to this Babylon is in Genesis 10 and 11. Babel, Tower of Babel, Babel. There was a type of the Antichrist there whose name was Nimrod. He was a great hunter, the Bible says. He led a rebellion against God. God's command was to go into all the world and replenish the earth after the flood. Nimrod was able to convince practically all of the world. Now Shem would have still been alive at this time. Shem, who is the progenitor of Abraham, he is the, he is the uh, ancestor, he is the head of the Semitic peoples, the Shemite peoples. I'm sure Shem didn't participate in the rebellion at Babel. But practically everybody else did. So there was this big, big project. And the type of the Antichrist in that early day of history after the flood is leading the people. And if you study it carefully, you will see that everybody spoke the same language. Of course, it was easy to communicate. And everything that they used in the building of the tower was man-made material. They made their own bricks. They made their own mortar. Everything was man-made. The whole thing was a, was a man-centered project. The proclamation was, let us make to ourselves our own name. Let us deify ourselves and create a God that is to our liking. So in that day, people did what people do today. I'm going to pick and choose. I'm going to cherry pick what I like about religion. And I'm just going to reject the rest of it. I don't want it. Well, this is what they were doing. So they didn't mind the idea of going to heaven. They didn't mind that. They didn't mind the idea of of. Authority and all power. They just didn't want it to be God in God's heaven. They wanted it to be their own invention. Now this was a kingdom of anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible. People who rebelled in mass against God. When you study it, you read about Nimrod and the Bible says, and the beginning of his kingdom was at Babel. You don't ever see an end to it until you get here at the close of time. So it is as though it is as though at the creation of nations, at the division of languages, because Genesis 10 and 11 shows you why people were forcibly divided into nations and then gives you the early name of the early nations. So here, at the beginning of nations, is the beginning 
of Babylon the Great to rebel against God, to follow a world system, to develop an economy, a political system, a religious system, all of which are man-centered and man-based. Humanism. We can do it our way. We don't need the help of the God of heaven. We are our own gods. So here the world in great rebellion is so involved in a project that seems to be succeeding such that God said, let us go down and confound their languages lest they become as we are. Think about that. So the languages were confounded. Everybody went to sleep one night. And everybody that was working on a particular part of the tower could easily communicate. The next day they get up, they go to work, and some guy's jabbering to another guy, and he thinks he's joking with him. That's the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. And the guy kind of laughs, and then he says, give me a hammer, and he th- it sounds like a cuss word or something to this other guy, you know. And so he just, he just gets in a fight with him. Next thing you know, the whole world is down there fighting with one another because they can't understand each other. So those tribal groups, those family groups who were together are forced to leave the project and go into different directions. And thus the nations were founded, but they carried with them Babylon the Great. They carried with them this anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, humanistic, man-centered belief. They formed their own gods. This is where idolatry started. They made gods from their own hands, gods to their own liking. And they made those gods in the way that they wanted those gods to be. And thus came false religion, the false religion, religious system. Now this thing goes through history. And it sweeps across time through Egypt and Macedonia and Assyria. And it goes from there to Babylon And it goes from there to the Medes and the Persians and to Greece and to Rome. And then it splits off into the Gentile nations that are depicted as the toes of that image of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And that's where we are today. Split among nations, Gentile nations everywhere until at the last they come together with their own project. Still anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-believer. And so the whole thing has run its circle. It started with Babel, it ends with Babylon. And it's been carried through the human race since the dawn of time. And the only ones who have been able to identify it and have resisted it in their lives are the elect of God in every age. So, these people who have just heard this This previous message, fear God, give him glory. Our judgments come, worship the creator. Okay, they've heard that. But their hope is still in the Antichrist and the Antichrist is Nimrod all over again. And he has an idea 
about how to hold the nations together and to resist Christ and God. And he's energized by Satan. The whole thing has Satan as its author and power and energy. And so he's worshipped. Satan, the Bible tells us that the dragon is worshipped. Satan is worshipped. And they think that this system of this, this worldly system of, of politics and economics and religion and all these other things, that's going to save them. So having rejected the gospel, the everlasting gospel, here's the bad news. What you have trusted in is dead. It is fallen. There is nothing for you on planet earth. Now there's nothing for you in heaven. Babylon the Great, who has given all the nations to drink of the wine of passion for her, her immorality. Now the scarlet, the, the beat, the, there's another thing later on, the, the woman, that's the false church. But here, here, the wine of passion for her immorality is the, now the immorality here that is spoken of, of course, sexual immorality will, will be at a, uh, I'm sure, at a, at an unsurpassed, an unknown, unsurpassed scale. But what is spoken of here in its context is that people have committed whoredom. The earth dwellers have committed whoredom against God. That's what's spoken of. And this is what Babylon the Great has done through all of time. So what's happening to our nation today? Same thing. To hate God and His Christ. To hate the believer. To spit in the face of those who are preaching the gospel. Praying for the souls of people. They hate them. Hate us. Hate, they despise us. And it's that way all over the world. It's always been that way. It always comes out that way in Babylon. Why? Because of spiritual whoredom and the passion that humanity has being so in love with itself. Loving humanism. Loving the thought that I can take care of myself. I can do it. I will make my own God. I will worship as I see fit. And if I don't want to, I won't worship at all. This, and how passionate has it been? It is so passionate that what happened at Babel goes all the way around the world, becomes great kingdoms, and then those kingdoms split off into nations, and then those nations gather themselves together again with their leader, who is like Nimrod, and once again the world is gathered against God and His Christ. This is their passion you listen to people scoff and laugh at the Bible. To curse and swear when you try to preach the message. To tear Bibles up. To burn Bibles and set churches on fire. When you, this is the passion of the world. Given all the nations to drink of the wine of passion. For her... Immorality. So the second angel tells us that nobody responded 
to the preaching of the first angel. So now you have, okay, here's the gospel. You won't be able to stand in judgment to say you hadn't heard. Here is the judgment. And then finally, the damnation. And that's exactly how it always works. You're warned. If there is no salvation, <laughs> you are judged. And then you're sent into condemnation. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the anger of God, having been mixed undiluted in his cup of wrath. And he will be tormented in fire and brimstone before the holy angels and before the Lamb. All right. Here, the earth dwellers were happily drinking the wine of passion for the immoral, the spiritual immoral, spiritually immoral ways of Babylon the Great. Give me another drink of this world. Now they're going to be forced to drink something they didn't want to drink. You want a drink? We're going to give you another drink. We're going to hold you down and hold your mouth open and pour the wine of the anger of God undiluted, the cup of his wrath right down your throat. And then you will swallow it and you'll be cast into the lake of fire finally. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. All of the elect of God there at the last. The saints of God and the angels at the great white throne after the thousand years. Then the wicked will be resurrected. They'll be brought before the great white throne. And in the presence of the one who could have saved them. Before all that is holy. Before all that is good and righteous and godly. Before the presence of all. They'll be forced to say according to Paul's letter to the Philippians. They'll be forced to say that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And after they've made their statement, they will be cast into the lake of fire because the lake of fire here is, is, is defined and described as torment that never stops and it's fire and brimstone. Eternal punishment forever. The last thing they'll see is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And the smoke of their torment goes up to the ages of the ages. And they have no rest day and night. Those worshiping the beast and its image. And anyone who receives the mark of its name. What does the Bible say about these who are finally cast into the lake of fire? They have no rest, neither day nor night, ever, ever, but 
there's yet something else to be said. Here is the endurance or the patience of the saints. Those keeping the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. So here now are the tribulation saints. Those who are still left alive in their physical bodies who will be the ones who will go physically into the kingdom. Here's what he said. Those guys, they'll never rest day or night. But these guys, and so many of them now, have died. They've endured everything. They have endured torture, torment. They've endured watching their families starve to death. They have been mocked and they have been kicked and killed and they've ran and they've run and hide and they've seen all of the stuff that has happened to the world and yet they still stayed with Christ, with the Lamb of God. I know the world is falling apart, but I am loyal to the Lamb. How horrible life was for them. But there's this other group. Here's this group. No rest day or night. Then here's this group who will have died as well. And I heard a voice out of heaven saying, right, blessed. It's in the plural, makarioi. It's a beautiful word. It means, it means happy. It means to have total satisfaction that there is nothing that could make you any happier than to be in the state of makarios. Blessed are the dead dying in the Lord from now on. They're being beheaded. They're starving to death. They couldn't eat. They couldn't buy anything. They couldn't have medical help. They couldn't live anywhere. They had to lay at night under the stars and in the day under the sun scorched. And they have gone through what no other generation ever before has seen. Blessed are the dead, dying in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. And this is the Spirit talking. Yes, so that they will rest from their labors for their works. Follow with them. The toil, the horrific life that they were living, the kapung, the labor for their works, follow with them. They will be rewarded. The earth dwellers now are afraid to die. But not these guys. As the gun shoots, as the sword falls, as the electric chair goes up, whatever, however, as the gas, poison, whatever, all they can do is be happy. And just on the other side, the Spirit of God is happy. They won't have to suffer anymore. The Spirit of God proclaiming their rest 
and their reward that follows with them. We're going to stop there and pick it up, God willing, next time, and we'll have our deacon prayer time.